to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years, and we want to share our knowledge with you, covering tax, accounting, technology, financial, and advisory topics relevant to you and your business. Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts, where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Hello, I'm your host, Dave Jewell, Principal and Tax Service Line Leader at Yo and Yo. Welcome to this episode of Everyday Business, where we will focus on tax issues affecting your business and personal tax situation. Today we're going to talk about tax reform as we enter the second filing season under these still relatively new rules. A year ago at this time, we were starting our first tax season under the largest overhaul of the Internal Revenue Code since 1986. As we head into tax season number two with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in full effect, we'd like to spend a few minutes today reminding our listeners of some of the major changes that were a part of that act, what we as practitioners learned from going through it in 2019, and how we can better plan around the changes in the coming years. Joining me today is John Haig. John is a principal in the firm's Midland office and a member of our tax advisory group, which is responsible for setting the direction of our tax practice. John's practice focuses on business and individual clients with a focus on high net worth individuals, executives, and trusts. John, it's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. John, as I mentioned, last tax season was a year that included changes on a scale that we haven't seen in over 30 years. Will you remind some of us of the major changes all across the spectrum? Changes for C-Corps, pass-through entities, and individual taxpayers? I would be happy to do so, Dave. Yeah, last uh, tax season, that, that was a doozy, that's for sure. I, I can't wait to uh, tell my children when they grow up that I, I lived through the 2018 filing season. I'm sure they'll roll their eyes and won't care, but it was actually pretty uh, interesting. We, we learned a lot, and it is basically our equivalent of the 1986 tax change. I think the, the most surprising thing to me was when uh, the lower corporate tax rate you know, dropping that down from a high of 35% down to 21% was just a huge thing for business. And we also saw the way that that kind of cascaded down to smaller businesses, our S-Corps, our partnerships, and sole proprietors, in that they, they were allowed a new qualified business income deduction, which based on certain criteria and and phase-outs, um, a taxpayer may be able to take a 20% deduction against their uh, taxable income from the business. That was a, a very interesting new addition to the tax code. Spent a lot of our time trying to figure out the little nuances with that. Like I said, there were there was phase outs and certain industries didn't apply or had those phase outs apply, such as the professional services. So your, your doctors, your attorneys, and believe it or not, even your CPAs. Yeah, I found that really hard to believe. <laughs> I, I would think that we would have had better lobbyists. Uh, I think our lobbyists, through. I think our lobbyists were asleep at the wheel on that one. That's I for that, that's for sure. So that was that was a fairly un unique new addition to the tax code. We saw a lot of the tax incentives that we've had in the past kind of expanded. For example, the the bonus depreciation, which allows a business to deduct, it used to be fifty percent of of new equipment purchases. That's bumped up to a hundred percent, and that's through uh, through twenty twenty three. It also used to be just for the purchase of brand new equipment, and that's been expanded to include used equipment. 
So um, this is an opportunity for businesses to reinvest in their own business and, and get those tax benefits. We did see some things taken away. For example, entertainment expenses no longer deductible. There's certain limitations now on, on business interest expense, what a business can deduct. And then we saw certainly a good number of changes to individual taxes. If you want to discuss that a little bit, everyone, everyone got a break with lower tax brackets and that, that they all went down, including the highest tax bracket, which went from 39.6% down to 37%. I think the way Congress was spinning this, um, these tax changes, what the, this is going to be a simplification of the tax code. And I don't know, Dave, do you think it got simpler? No, I think, it, I think it really was the Accountants Full Employment Act, to be honest with you, because a lot of the changes required a lot more of our time, and we had to dig into those and figure out what worked for clients and what didn't. And it just it opened up some great new planning strategies, I feel like, but at the same point in time, it didn't make things that much more simple. Yeah, so. I would totally agree. I mean, there, there were certain certain aspects of it, like the, the standard deduction, you know, was, was almost doubled to 12000 for a single filer, 24000 for married filer joint. So with that and a new cap and tax deductions that were able to be itemized, that cap being at $10,000, we did see some more standard deduction returns, but it wasn't across the board. You know, there's certainly, if you have a, if you have a good mortgage and, and you're, say, charitably inclined, you know, do donating to, to charity, plenty of taxpayers that were, that were itemizing. Yeah, I agree. There were, there, this is a tax overhaul of, of, pockets, in my opinion. I mean, it, it impacted. There were pockets of people that it made their filing much simpler. There were pockets of people that added a lot of complexity uh, to their situation. Same thing for whether it saved people tax dollars. I feel like there were pockets of folks that got a huge benefit from this. And then there were also different groups of people that I think it adversely impacted them a little bit. And either kept their tax liability about the same, or maybe they even saw a little bit of an increase. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there were there were many rules of, th rules of thumb that you could just apply broadly. You, you really had to look at each individual situation. You know, so, some folks saw the uh, miscellaneous itemized deductions, also known as the, referred to as the 2% deductions, that folks were able to deduct on their Schedule A. So those would be like your um, investment management fees, unreimbursed business expenses, even your tax preparation fees. You know, th those were no, are no longer deductible under the new, the new rules. I know a lot of folks were thinking their, their taxes would go up because of that. But at the same time, a lot of those individuals were, were subject to the alternative minimum tax rules which we could probably do an entire podcast on, on that. Yeah, for the sake of our uh, listeners, let's not do that. Let's but. not go into that <laughs> into that course. So there were many situations where folks thought their tax rates might might go or their taxes would go up, but, the, but they actually went, went down. Yeah, and I think, too, you look at that, uh, there were other provisions in place that I think that helped level that playing field a little bit. So, for example, the folks that maybe did lose some deductions from, they took standard deduction now instead of itemizing their deductions, and then all personal exemptions were completely eliminated but a lot of those people also had children who were under the age of 17 and now that you could have income of up to four hundred thousand dollars give or take and still qualify for that two thousand dollar per child child tax credit I feel like that helped keep a lot of people's tax situations at bay too 
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, when I was delivering tax returns, quite a few clients were prized that they were that they were eligible for the child tax credits again. So, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when that's it used to two thousand dollars, two thousand dollars a child, you know. So. Right, and and when that old thousand dollar credit used to phase out at about one hundred ten thousand dollars of income on a married joint return, uh, to have that limit pushed up to four hundred thousand now, and and that credit nearly doubled. That was a huge benefit for a lot of taxpayers. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the deductions have been extended going forward to the 2019. Medical expenses, those are back to 7.5% of adjusted gross income, or if, you, if they exceed that, you, you're able to deduct those. The above-the-line deduction for tuition and fees, private mortgage insurance is obviously still, still deductible. Sure. Also, we have the repeal of the health insurance right. mandate penalty, which, which is uh, going to affect some individuals Yeah, that'll as well. help a few folks as well. Yeah. So lots of changes, including um, kind of interesting. If you, when you saw your your tax return last year, you might have been surprised with the way it looked, right? They they changed the overall format. The idea being that they were going to try to get this into a more concise tax return, where they're referring it to actually as a postcard. They didn't quite get there, but basically what they did is they took all the numbers on the first page and put them into subschedules and made for kind of an interesting looking 1040. But I see in 2019, we've kind of reverted back to the old way. And, and so I think that, you know, when you see your 2019 return, it'll look a little more familiar. Yeah, it'll look a lot more like it used to, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for condensing down some of those changes. Um, let's talk about now going forward. So we got through tax season number one with the changes, and now as we go into the 2019 filing season that we're going to file here in 2020, uh, what are a few things that you as a practitioner learned or that kind of stuck out to you and that you think that you can help your clients with from a strategy standpoint? Yeah, so when we went through the 2018, uh, we, we definitely learned a lot, and we looked at um, tax planning perhaps from, from different lights than we had in the past, you know. Um, one thing that, that was interesting is we kind of brought back the idea of, of bunching, you know, bunching expenses together. When you have a standard deduction as high as it is now, it may make sense to group your, let's for example, your charitable donations, do um, a larger amount in one year and then a lesser amount in the next and kind of go back and forth. So a bunching technique that, that we would use. We also saw quite a few people taking advantage of donor advised funds, which allows you to, con to contribute to a fund dollars that you intend to give to charity in the future, but yet take a deduction for them now. Um, so we, we saw quite a few of those um, being utilized, especially with the, with the market doing well, a lot of stock being donated to those. Yeah, I, I think that was absolutely, I, I think that was a, a huge point of planning for a lot of our individual clients. I know myself, I went home to my wife after I was reading through some of these changes and I said, we're not going to donate another dime to charity or church or anywhere else for the remainder of the year. And of course, that got a little bit of a look. And I said, no, listen, we're kind of right on that verge for whether we itemize or not. So how about we just not give another dime for the rest of this year. We'll take the standard deduction. And then next year, we'll give what we would have normally in 2019. But then we'll give that in 2020 along with our other normal giving. And so then we'll have a big spike in our itemized deductions. And we'll kind of do an every other year. Sure. Um, type of strategy. She didn't like that, so of course yeah. we didn't end up doing that. But she, she might not have liked you talking about taxes at dinner time. <laughs> that, more, more important than the actual topic, but <laughs> probably that's probably the case more so than anything. But uh, but yeah, no, those just brought up very interesting conversations that we could have with our clients throughout the course of the past year. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so you're that, that's looking at one side of the equation, which is managing the expenses, right? The the deduction. Um, the the other side of the equation is your income and, and managing your income. So, you know, in the past we would we would say you you try to put off paying taxes as long as you can, right? You try to defer your income. So, if you have any options or deferred compensation, you know, every, everything's thinking towards the future. Don't pay tax now. Pay tax later. But with the tax rates being as low as they are. This year we spent, or last year rather, we spent a lot of time looking at our tax, our clients' income, and trying to fill up those lower tax brackets. So there were there were many phone calls that I would I would made dur during the year where I would say, you know what, you you've got another twenty five thousand dollars in taxable income at this low twenty four percent tax bracket. Is there any way we can recognize some income? And you know, is, are there some options that we could exercise, or some stocks that stock that could vest that we could get some benefits? And in, in many many instances, we did we did do that. So we actually accelerated paying the tax, but at a much lower rate. So it's better to pay 24 percent tax rate today than than next year when you might be paying it at the 32 percent tax rate. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, a key point of planning in my own practice, John. Previously, too, that where we saw that marginal bracket extended through 315,000, give or take, of taxable income uh, for married filing joint couples just at 24%. That used to all be 33% money under the old tables too. So right. um, that was a huge point of planning that let's let's maximize as much as possible. It's kind of counterintuitive to what we used to plan oh, around for, for sure. our clients yeah. because, and even the, the things that we put out at the end of the year is always, we used to always say defer, 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 but now we are look, really looking at how can we maximize this 24% bracket? How can we bring more more taxable income into the picture, and it's just not going to get much cheaper than that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing that we looked at is is with the C corporate rate being so low, we, we did go through a lot of our entities and, and looked at those and, and tried to determine whether or not it was still appropriate to to remain an S corp or a C corp. Basically, spending a little more time trying to figure out whether or not the the clients were were organized and in, in, in um, filing their tax taxes in an appropriate way. Yeah, and I think that I think we found that that was a good exercise to go through anyway, mm -hmm. and that's something that maybe to that's important for our listeners is that it doesn't hurt every year or two, a couple years, even on an annual basis. Just take a look at your structure. Does it still oh, make sure. sense? Uh, there's opportunities. Uh, you know, sometimes if you're an S corporation and you just recently elected us, it's a little bit harder to get out of that. And there's a period of time that uh, you probably need to remain an S corporation for uh, to avoid there being issues. But yeah. uh, I think it makes sense to look at entity structure and to make sure that based on the current tax laws, the way that you're structured still makes the most sense for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in the past, I think the the C corps with that high thirty five percent rate, it was it was always let's pay out everything, you know, don't leave any profits in the company. But uh, we saw more C corps leaving some profits in the company at that lower tax rate, especially those that had debt or paying paying down debt. Yeah, so. one thing that was interesting though, I think this year too, though, is that we used to have that tiered structure in C corps where the yeah. first fifty thousand was at fifteen percent, the next twenty five thousand yeah. was at twenty five percent, and I think some people got a little bit of a rude awakening this year where dollar one was taxed at twenty one percent all the way up through obviously whatever their taxable income was, but that was a little bit different and something that was just something that we had to plan around. That's true. Yes. In the past, there were a lot of companies that made just fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's amazing how we uh, how we worked that out. But that was all part of good tax planning. There you go. 
John, anything else from a, a tax planning strategy standpoint that, that you want to throw out to our listeners? I, I know this year is an election year. Normally, we, uh, we'll save politics for a different podcast. There's plenty of those that are available out there right now. But Yeah, I didn't sign uh, up for that. Yeah, <laughs> nor did I, so it's best that we just leave that one where it is. But I haven't been shying away from the fact with my clients that right now we're paying historically low tax rates. With the election coming up, there some candidates have made no they have not hidden the fact at all that you could be paying more starting as soon as next year so i guess you also couple that with rising national debt and right now we have lower interest rates but if those inevitably go up in the future uh, tax rates are probably going to have to go up to to fund some of the things that we want to do so anything else or any other strategies that you're passing along to your yeah, you know, in that regard. sure. Uh, you know, one thing that, that pops up in my head is that, you know, we look at uh, an appliance W-2 or their pay stub rather throughout the year and take a look at how much they're contributing to their 401k. And if they're con- and, and a lot of 401ks now are offering the, the Roth option, right, where you can contribute up to the $19,000 or $25,000, uh, depending on your age. And typically, we, we would have those going into tax-deferred 401k, where you're getting a tax deduction for them. Um, but if your employer allows, actually electing to put it into the Roth portion, which is, doesn't give you a tax deduction, right? So you're actually going to be paying, t- paying tax at the, um, at the current rate, what it is now, but if you expect that tax rates are going to go up in the future when you need those funds, then those funds come out to you tax-free, right. including all the growth. So, and I think um, another nice benefit of Ross, too, is that you don't have required minimum distributions when you hit what is now age 72 based on uh, new legislation when those RMDs kick in at, at age 72. No RMDs on on exactly. Roth IRA, so that's another benefit. Exactly, yeah, and you, you touched on the, the new change. I mean, that's under the, the SECURE Act, which stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. I think the IRS is uh, getting a little carried away with their yeah. acronyms <laughs> here, but that is the SECURE Act. But, yeah, that, that increases required minimum distributions from 70 and a half up to 72 Whereas in the past, or if you had an IRA, once you turned 70 and a half, you had to start taking distributions from it. And now you can wait basically until um, you're 72. And then also um, it repeals the maximum age for traditional IRA contributions. So you can have somebody who's over 70 and a half, who as long as they have earned income, they can contribute to a traditional IRA, which is, which is, uh, which is very interesting. I think one great strategy, too, just to, to kind of wrap that part up, is that even if you have somebody who's over the income limit for being able to contribute to mm-hmm. a traditional IRA, can still make that contribution in a non-deductible form, and then assuming that they don't have a bunch of other IRA money that's hanging out there, immediately do a Roth conversion, kind of do that backdoor Roth. So yes. uh, for people that, that that makes sense in their situation and they still have earned income from employment or whatever they're doing, I think that's an awesome strategy that people can continue to take advantage of even in their later years. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I would say if, if you're maxing out your, your company's 401k plan and still have additional dollars that you can afford to put away, and if you don't have a traditional IRA, you need to reach out to your to your tax preparer and or financial advisor and ask them about the backdoor IRA strategy. Right. We certainly did that for the bulk of our clients. It's a, it's a great planning tool. 
Perfect. Well, John, I really appreciate all of your insight and your expertise today as we kind of took a trip down memory lane <laughs> and rehashed what was of yeah. tax reform a couple of years ago and then what some of the new strategies and planning opportunities are for heading into uh, 2020 and the 2019 tax filing season. There were lots of changes and with changes always comes new opportunities. So I think it's really important to, to have the dialogue with your tax preparer this tax season and throughout the year. Yeah. And you know, I, th I think if you uh, if you just think if your relationship with your CPA is simply once a year at tax time, that's after the fact. <laughs> you know, there's nothing we can do. We can't really tax plan at that point. Um, we need to talk throughout the year, stay, stay abreast of what's going on, get copies of your pay stubs throughout the year, your income, your... Uh, you know, brokerage statements and so forth, and really help you out. Right, a lot of good strategy sessions that we can that we can have, and, and planning techniques and, and things that can be put into place uh, with more frequent communication and just uh, ongoing communication throughout the year. So we appreciate your insight, well, my and, pleasure. and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. If you're interested in learning more about tax reform, visit yoandyo.com, where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. I'm Dave Jewell, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Thank you for tuning in to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo and Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com, and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.